Well, good morning, guys. You know, a um, couple weeks ago, we saw uh, several video clips from one of my favorite movies, The Legend of Bagger Vance. And we learned in that movie that every man has been given an authentic swing. Well, this morning, we're going to focus in on your authentic swing as it relates to the personality parts I began to introduce last week. And we're going to explore that personality and what makes you come alive. So we're going to zero in on your authentic swing beginning this morning. But before we do, I want to remind you that everything we've covered goes back to our core concept. Do you remember the core concept? Throw it up on the screen. Every person has been uniquely crafted and gifted by God to perform meaningful acts of service to Him and to others. And we talked about our natural abilities that are given to us at conception, but we also talked about our spiritual gifts that are given to us at conversion. And we said all of those are grace gifts that have been given to us by God. And then we talked about specifically those spiritual gifts. Do you remember our definition of spiritual gifts? Okay, we said that spiritual gifts are a unique God-given ability that he uses to enrich and empower our original design that he's given us in our lives. And we mentioned three truths about spiritual gifts that, gifts that will impact your original design given to you at birth. And you may remember those. I'm going to review them quickly. Uh, first, we said spiritual gifts are sovereignly given by God. Everybody has spiritual gifts, and they're unique, and they are complements to our natural God-given abilities we get at birth. Secondly, we, we said that we are give, they're given for the benefit of others, and for some of us that was a little bit of a paradigm shift. Your spiritual gifts are not given for you. They were given for the benefit of others. They're outward focused, not inward focused. And then thirdly, we said our spiritual gifts are uniquely expressed with varied effects. And because our spiritual gifts flow through our natural gifts given at birth, uh, the result are various effects of influence. And we talked about how God is really in control of that influence. And then we, and I introduced to you the final principle, foundational principle, principle number three, that really pulled everything together from natural gifting to spiritual gifting. And it said, your grace gifts are crafted by God at conception. Those are the natural abilities. And those received at conversion, those spiritual gifts, should not be viewed as mutually exclusive, but as complementary to one another. In other words, the spiritual gifts are a supernatural expression of your God-given design in that they highlight that natural design, they can energize that natural design, and they can affect the useful purpose of that design. And we saw that exemplified in the life of the Apostle Paul. But Now, this morning, I, I want to give you a quick biblical example of this design consistency that you see run through a, a man's life or a woman's life. Uh, and it, it is pretty obvious in the life of an Old Testament character, a guy you may be pretty familiar with. His name is Joseph. Now, when we first are introduced to Joseph, we find him out in the field. 
Uh, it says in Genesis 37:2, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock, flocks with his brothers. But he, as you remember, he probably annoys, annoys his brothers. Uh, they're frustrated with him, so they end up throwing him in a pit, and they sell him to a slave trader that, that comes by. He takes him down to Egypt and sells him into slavery, and a man named Potiphar ends up buying Joseph. So we'll pick up the story there. Notice what happens in chapter 37. It says, And Joseph found favor in his sight. Whose sight? This is Potiphar's sight. So Joseph finds favor in Potiphar's sight and served him. And he, that is Potiphar, made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he, he put under his authority. And so Joseph's life takes an interesting turn at that point. But it kind of all collapses because Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. And when Joseph refuses to be seduced, she gets upset and accuses him of raping her. And Joseph is now thrown into prison in Egypt. And so while in prison, he ends up winning the favor of the prison warden. Pick up the story in chapter 37. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And so Joseph's life takes an interesting turn. He's in charge of all the prisoners. And while in prison, he ends up interpreting the dreams for two specific prisoners. That leads to an opportunity to actually interpret Pharaoh's dream. And when he gets that opportunity, he tells Pharaoh that his dream means that there will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine in Egypt. And Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he puts him in charge of the whole country. Look at verse four, chapter 41. Pharaoh says, You shall be over my house, and all the people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Now, do you see any consistent pattern in Joseph's life? Does anything bubble to the surface? I mean, as a boy, he's in charge of sheep. And then as he gets older, as a slave, he's in charge of his master's household. And then as a prisoner, he's in charge of the whole prison. And then, as a government employee, he's in charge of all of Egypt. Uh, I mean, he rises to the top in every situation. You, you could say that Joseph has a predisposition to being in charge of stuff, to doing a great job with organization. He has a design consistency that goes through his entire life, and everyone recognizes it no matter where he's plugged in. Everyone sees it because function always follows design. Function follows design. You know, the truth of the matter is other people can usually see your strengths quicker than you can. I mean, they observe you at a distance, and they have a more objective view of what your abilities are than you do. We have a sense of snow blindness when it comes to seeing our own abilities, and I think that's exactly what you see happen in Joseph's life. People recognized his design. In fact, you see his design continue all the way to his death. Even on his deathbed, Joseph is trying to be in charge of his death. He tells them where he wants to be buried, how to dispose of his body. I mean, 
his entire life long, he never stops coming back to his natural God-given design. You can call it his authentic swing. Well, you've got to remember that our natural abilities and our spiritual gifts, though received at different times in our life, both of those should be viewed as mutually exclusive, should not be viewed as mutually exclusive, but rather complementary and consistent with each other. And this service by design inventory that you've taken over Christmas break is going to help you see that design consistency in your life. It's going to help you identify your authentic swing, your unique design. So what I want to do is begin getting you acquainted with your personality structure. I began to introduce that last week. And remember I said that it's like a six-floor condominium. I mean, you have a top floor and a bottom floor. You have an attic and you have a foundation. And in between are all your personality parts. And you notice there are six according to this inventory. Uh, And each floor represents a floor you can live on. And you can gain energy from the stronger floors or near the bottom. Uh, and there are five truths about your unique condominium of design. Uh, the first truth is your design is not limited to one personality part, but rather a unique combination of all six. A unique combination of all six. Let's say in your attic, you're like me, you're a dreamer, but you're only one or two percent. But dreamer is there. It's part of your design. Some of you may have a higher dreamer. So you're a combination of all six. All six play a role in your life, even if you're in the attic at 1% or 2% of dreamer. Secondly, your percent bars represent the amounts of energy God has given to each personality part. Now, as I said last week, they aren't grades. If they were grades, there's a lot of failure going on. And they are not indicators of intelligence. They are percentage bars that indicate the consistent strengths, viewpoints, and motivational needs that are true of each personality part that makes up your unique design. They're going to give you indications of the energy that's there that you can tap into. Now, you need to know this is not an evaluative instrument as much as it is a descriptive instrument. It's going to help explain to you why you do what you do and where you get your energy for accomplishing things and engaging in life. It's going to help you understand that unique swing, your unique design. And then third, your greatest strengths are found in the personality parts that are closest to the foundation. It doesn't make sense, doesn't it? I mean, in a building structure, uh, the the strongest parts are in the foundation. That's where you put the most steel. And the same is true of your personality structure. Those that are closest to the foundation are the strongest. Those are the ones that you'll draw from the most. And those near the attic, you could say, are the weakest. They are still there, but uh, you will tend to draw from those near the foundation the most. Now, I want to stop and throw up my personality. This is, this is, these, this is uh, what's reflected on uh, my profile. And you look at that. Where do I have my greatest strengths? What's at my foundation? Achiever. I'm 100% achiever. 
Uh, and it means that that is the thing that I use to energize myself. In fact, being an achiever means I, I have lots of energy for being logical, organized, and responsible. As I mentioned last week, I tend to see things through a thinks-first lens. And I'm interested in task accomplishment. I love checking things off my list. I tend to be motivated by recognition for my ideas and the things that I do, things like that. Now, by the way, I'm a 100% achiever. Some of you may be 100% in two or three areas. There may even be somebody here that's 100% in four areas. And you're thinking, that's weird. No, it's not weird. It means you're gifted. You have a number of areas where you can draw energy, motivation, in order to engage with life. Uh, if you find yourself at 75% or higher in any of the personality parts, then they are parts that you can easily draw energy from. Now, you can see I'm an achiever, but I have a lot of energy as a persister. I'm 86% there as a persister. And persisters are those who have strong convictions, strong beliefs, strong value systems that they live by. Uh, in a business environment, they're concerned with ethics. Uh, and they love talking about stuff like politics or religion or social issues. Now, you'll notice in my personality structure, on floors three and four, I have energizer and catalyzer. And I'm 58% in both of those. Now, if you find yourself between 75 and 50%, that means that you have moderately strong energy in those areas. If you're, un, if you're over 50%, between 75 and 50%. So let's look at, at my unique design. If I wanted to interact, I, I'm an achiever, but if I wanted to interact with a persister, this tells me that I can do that easily. It's not going to be that much of energy drain. It might even be an energizer for me. So in order to interact with a persister, what I end up doing is I, I leave the first floor. I get into an imaginary elevator. I punch floor two, and I go up to the second floor, and I exit, and now I'm engaging with, with a persister or a group of persisters, and we're talking about uh, things like, you know, opinions and uh, our beliefs. We're engaging in stuff related to convictions and values. And we're and I'm having fun engaging with them. I don't have any problem. But but at some point in the conversation I'm probably will say something like you know have you guys seen that article in US Business World and World Report that came out two weeks ago and it said blah blah blah. Now when I say that I just did a switch. I switch from convictions as a persister back to information as an achiever. I, I'm no longer talking about opinions. I'm talking about facts. I have switched by moving from my persister down to achiever, and now I'm engaged in achiever talk. So, I mean, do you see that? When I say, you know, if you've seen that article in U.S. News and World Report, I'm not talking about convictions. I'm not talking about beliefs. I'm not talking about values. I'm talking about um, facts. And I have just switched channels on them. I'm now back to my achiever talk. 
And that is natural for me because that's kind of my home base. I'm 100% achiever. So let's stay, say I stay on floor two and I'm engaging in conversation, a persister kind of conversation. We're talking about opinions, uh, values, beliefs. And after 15, 20 minutes, I'm getting a little bored. And I'm starting to think, you know, this is really not going anywhere. You know, I'm, we're not accomplishing anything. And I begin to feel a little bit of an energy drain, so I go over here and get in my elevator. I punch floor one. I go down to one. I get off. Now I'm on the achiever floor, and I get something accomplished, something I can check off my list, and suddenly that gives me energy. And now that I've got energy back, I can go back up here on the persister floor, and I can engage with persisters about uh, you know, opinions and uh, values, the things that they're interested in. So you see where I gain my energy. It's from the achiever. Wherever you're 100%, that's where you'll gain most of your energy. Does that make sense, what I've just described? Okay. Fourth truth about your condominium is your personality parts near the attic will be the ones you rely on the least. And if you look at my personality part, if you remember, it was, it was a dreamer. And I rely on that the least. Well, I'll talk in detail about the dreamer when I go over their personality in detail. Uh, but they tend to be reflective, calm. They like time alone. And some of you have said, you know, I'm a dreamer in my attic too. And you said they like time alone, but I like time alone. Well, that's okay. I like time alone as well. Now, a dreamer's time alone can be thinking about whatever. He can be thinking about physics. He can be thinking about chemistry, or he can be thinking about the beautiful sunset. That's the kinds of things that he thinks about when he's alone. He can just enjoy the quiet. Now, I like time alone, but in my time alone, I'm thinking about stuff I need to accomplish. I'm using that time to think about, okay, I've got to be sure and pick up this, and I've got to do this, I've got to get this done. And I'll use that time alone to kind of set a to-do list, and then I'll leave that time alone, and I'll go uh, to wherever I need to go and get something accomplished. We both enjoy time alone where a dreamer has really no objective for his time alone. He just likes thinking. I have more of an objective for my time alone. And that's because I'm an achiever, and I would guess there are probably a lot of achievers here uh, in this room. And finally, um, understanding your unique personality structure is going to help you discover your unique design from God. And, of course, that's what this whole year has been about. Well, I want to look at letter B. Notice it says seven specifics of your personality report in terms of your unique design. I printed these seven specifics in your notebook, and I've given you a short little definition for them. And so I want to read that through to let you see kind of how this information is organized uh, that has come to you through Servants by Design. Notice the first one there in your notebook. Your strengths, they're your core assets of your unique design. Uh, the second is viewpoint. And that's the perspective to which you view life. And many times a person's vocabulary can be an indication of how they view life, the words they use. The motivation speaks to wants and needs that make you come alive. It's where you get your energy. 
It's how you're energized. <clears throat> Fourth, subject uh, matter refers to the resources that you use uh, when uh, you're accomplishing things. And you'll discover there are three categories of resources. If you read further in your um, profile, uh, there are people, there's data, and there are things. And you have a preference for one of those. It's a little bit like painting a picture and choosing whether you're going to paint that picture with you know, watercolors, oils, or acrylics. You have a preference with, with which you like to paint. And the same is true when it comes to um, subject matter. You have a preference. It's either people, data, or things. Fifth is your abilities. They're the activities that describe how you go about doing things, whether it's negotiating, planning, conceptualizing, maybe persuading. You know, you have a preference for one of those. And then the setting is the environment in which you best express your design. I mean, are you more team-oriented or do you like working by yourself? You have a preference for one of those. It's good to be able to identify that. Are you more structured or are you more um, uh, without restraints? you like more flexibility? Do you have a preference for that? And many times ethical issues are bound up in your environmental preferences. In other words, if, if you are a persister, uh, it means that uh, you have a, a high degree of business ethics. But if you're working for a corporation that differs in ethics than you do, then I can tell you, you're not going to stay there very long. And the reason is, is because it's inconsistent with your natural design. And there's going to be conflict, and that is the setting issue that um, the the profile begins to identify. And then finally, relationships refers to the kind of leadership and supervision you like working with and look working under so that you can be most effective. In fact, I was talking to a businessman not too long ago, and he was telling me, he said, Doug, I like clear expectations. Uh, I like overall direction. I want a timetable, and I want to know the deadlines on that timetable. And I don't want my boss looking over my shoulder Asking me for an update every day. I want him to let me go get it done, and I'll get it done. <clears throat> but his boss does look over his shoulder, and it's driving him nuts. So he needs to have a conversation with his boss about working relationship. So you need to know what kind of working relationship you work best in. And all that's in your profile. Now, now, enough on, on kind of an overview of the fundamentals. I want to turn our attention to understanding the strengths, viewpoints, and motivations of the first two of the six personality types we're going to be investigating together. So let's take, first of all, the harmonizer. The harmonizer. Now, the strengths of a harmonizer is that they are compassionate, they're sensitive, and they're warm-hearted. People usually feel comfortable around harmonizers. They feel comfortable sharing their feelings with harmonizers. They give off this aura that they're safe to talk to. Now, I have personal experience with a harmonizer because I married one. In fact, not too long ago, we were at a ball game. Patty met a lady that uh, she had, did not know before. They struck up a conversation at the ball game. And the lady begins opening up with Patty about the cancer 
that her husband has and some of the problems they're facing in their family and in their marriage. And they're just talking the whole time back and forth. Patty's doing most of the listening. She ends up walking with the lady out to her car. And just before the lady gets in the car, she pauses and looks at Patty and said, I don't know if I've told anybody all of that. I can't believe I told you that. Now, why did she? Because Patty's a harmonizer. They tend to draw people out. People say, stay, feel safe with them. They are sympathetic, and they give a, uh, a listening ear to people. Harmonizers have the uncanny ability of sense the needs in others, and they tend to build people up in nurturing ways. Uh, people with whom they interact feel important as people, not because of what they do or what they can accomplish, but they feel important as, as people. And because they're sensitive to and have respect for individual needs, harmonizers make great counselors, great therapists, great arbitrators. They can read a room and, and kind of know what's going on under the surface. What are the undercurrents going on in that room? Uh, they can sense beneath the surface of people's lives, especially hurts. And they have this uncanny ability, if they're Christ followers, to reflect God's unconditional love in those situations and His forgiveness to those people who are hurting. That's why we've chosen the symbol of the harmonizer, to be a big heart because they are big-hearted people. Harmonizers will use words like, I feel and emotions are important to me. I mean, their whole world is a world of feelings and emotions. And they say things like, I feel this, and they'll describe something. Or they'll say things like, in my heart, I just know. They may even say, don't bore me with the facts. I know how I feel. Feelings take precedent over everything else. And because harmonizers have a unique ability to share their feelings and connect with each other, with other people, they're good encouragers, and they're the best listeners of all the uh, the personality parts. Those are harmonizers. Now, their motivation is that they have a need for recognition of person. In, in other words, a harmonizer needs to know that they matter for who they are, not what they can do for somebody. They love statements that say, I care for you or I love you. And what others feel about them is so important. They try to avoid conflict. They don't want to disappoint people. And so they have a hard time telling someone, no, don't do that, or you can't do that, because they enjoy pleasing people. In fact, in my last church, my the worship pastor we had there was a harmonizer. I mean, he he was great at worship. He could feel what was going on in, in, in the chapel, and and he knew kind of how to orchestrate the worship to tie into that. I mean, he had this uncanny ability to fill uh, the room. But because he was a harmonizer, he wanted to please everybody. Now, can you imagine a harder job than to be a worship pastor and attempt to please everybody? I mean, everybody has an opinion about worship, and it was driving him nuts. He was unbelievably gifted 
but he was trying to please this guy, and this guy had a favorite song, and they had this style, and they had that style. And so, I mean, it, he was just frustrated. And finally, I had to sit him down and say, Todd, you need you need to focus on pleasing just two people. you got to please God, and I want you to please me and do what I say, and everyone else I want you to ignore out there. And that relieved a ton of tension in him, and I watched him just flourish after that. They like helping people. Uh, their currency, you could say, is compassion, and they love showing it, and they enjoy receiving it as well. They also have a strong sensory orientation. Somebody who is a pure harmonizer likes to have good smells and scents in their office. They like having music going, uh, pleasing sounds. They uh, love looking at enjoyable sights. In fact, if you were going over Independence Pass in Colorado, and you would stand there at the pass, and you would go, wow, that's amazing. A harmonizer would literally have his breath taken away. He probably wouldn't even be able able to speak. Now, the percentage in the U.S. population who are harmonizers is 30%. Most of those are females, 75% are females, 25% are males. I'm curious, how many harmonizers do we have here? Anybody in the top 75% of harmonizer? Okay. Okay, it it looked like about 30%, something like that, 25%. Uh, I want to give you a biblical example of a harmonizer. In the New Testament, uh, the book of Luke talks about Martha and her sister Mary. And in the story, uh, they live in the town of Bethany, and they have a reception for Jesus. Jesus comes to visit, along with some other friends. Uh, He's visiting the house of Martha and Mary, and I want to pick up the story there in Luke chapter 10. It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I want you to catch what he says in verse 39. It says, Mary, who also was at Jesus' feet and heard his words. I mean, do you get a kind of a picture of what's going on here? What do you think Mary's personality is? I mean, it's highly relational. It's engaging. She wants to connect. She's more of a harmonizer. She's sensitive to listening to Jesus. Now, what do you think Martha's personality is? She's more of an achiever. She's an achiever, but she's probably got some persister in in her because it's not fair that I'm having to do all the work. See, that's an opinion. That's a value. So she has the husband to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you see I'm doing all the work? Can't you make my sister come in here and help me with the meal? So you see this contrast of personalities here between Martha and Mary. Now, some of your better-known harmonizers in society, I mean, probably the best-known harmonizer is Mr. Rogers. 
If you've ever sat down and, you know, watched his program, I mean, he connects, especially with kids, and you feel like he understands you. Um, it, for some of you guys old like me, Diana Shore is a harmonizer. Barney is a harmonizer. I mean, it's a great kids uh, um, program, and it's a great harmonizer. Uh, Dr. Bones McCoy on Star Trek is actually a harmonizer. In fact, I want you to watch a video of a harmonizer catalyst. This person has got harmonizer at 100% and catalyst at 100%, and see if you can pick up on the subtleties of the differences in the personalities. It's from the movie Jerry Maguire. Watch the clip. Leaves your family all alone. Had a mother had to sweep out the steps of the prison just to earn enough money for tuition for you. Your brother loses a leg in a tragic bass fishing accident. I mean, there's been a horrific list of things that have happened to you in your life. I'm not going to cry, Roy. <laughs> well, actually, we have some very good news for you. This has just been handed to me. A memo. It's signed. It's a contract. Guaranteed. Arizona Cardinals. Four years. $11.2 million. You're going to get to play in Arizona where it all started. Finish up your career in Arizona. What do you think of that? from the Super Bowl yeah, party. Sure, hey, Jerry. I'm at 93. That's right. Good to see you. Good Georgia memo. Thank you. Arizona Cardinal Thank organization. You. A little slow, but you come around. Okay, we're almost out of time. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm forgetting somebody. Jerry McGuire, my agent. You are my ambassador of Quad, man. Rod, thank you so much. Congratulations. We'll be right back. Okay, was Cuba Gooding thinking or feeling? He's all feeling, isn't he? I mean, I mean, you can see it on his face, the emotion that's there. He had to love everybody in the room, even hugging the announcer. Uh, but you also got to know that uh, he's a catalyst. That's why he's a football player. That's why he takes chances. He's action-oriented. But at his core, he likes to move in close and connect. Now, that's the harmonizer. Let's look at the achiever next. Now, we've chosen the symbol of a computer for the achiever. Now, why is that? It's because they pursue data and information. Um, that's kind of how their minds work. The strengths are that they're logical, organized, and responsible. And as I've already said, they're also task-oriented. They prize data, information, and facts. Achievers enjoy problem-solving in a clear-thinking manner. I mean, it's got to make sense to them. 
They can be methodical. And they have the ability to delay gratification and put it off. And that's a great, that's a great strength that they have. Uh, you meet an achiever, they tend to tell you the facts. They talk about things. And uh, as an achiever, they will tend to give you a little too much detail in the conversation. I was teamed up with a pure achiever at my last church. And uh, anytime I'd be in conversation with Kirk, uh, Kirk would say, you know, Doug, I, was, I went down to the grocery store the other day, and I was um, checking out, well, it, it was really Walmart. It wasn't the grocery store. And, uh, but I was, I was checking out, um, you know, well, I wasn't in the grocery part. I was kind of more in the men's part of the thing. It wasn't last week. It was, it was really last weekend. And so they're always backing up, trying to clarify somehow by giving you the facts. Achievers can do that. That would be a a pure caricature of achiever. If you're 100% in that area, it may not necessarily describe you, but they do talk about the facts. Uh, achievers are also faithful to complete what they say. They tend to lead by setting the example. They also um, show love and appreciation uh, to those around them uh, by doing things for people. That's kind of their love language. Their viewpoint how they perceive the world. Remember, the um, harmonizer is a feels-first lens. The achiever is a thinks-first lens. Uh, achiever will say, I, I want to know the facts. They uh, use logic to solve a problem. Harmonizer will say, you know, I feel, but an achiever says, I think. Uh, this is what I mean by this. These are the facts. Uh, they tend to categorize people, issues, and things according to their unique God-given design of using logic, and they do it systematically. Achievers are motivated by recognition of their ideas and their accomplishments. They love to hear statements like, Tom, you did a great job on that. Awesome idea, Fred. Where did you come up with that? That speaks to their heart. They need acknowledgement for their clear thinking ability, their problem-solving they're usually pretty effective and efficient in what they do. Uh, they also need to be in charge of their time and their schedules. They tend to not like people looking over their shoulders. Um, I'm curious, how many achievers do we have in here? Okay, I suspected we had quite a few. Uh, achievers are also sensitive to time structure. If they go on vacation and it takes six hours, according to the map, to get to their destination, an achiever will know that, but try to get there in five and a half hours. Am I right, achievers? You're always setting a goal. You're trying to better yourself. See if you get there a little quicker. Uh, they like to accomplish things. They like checking things off their list. One of the just the simple joys I have in life is accomplishing something and checking it off my list. I just I love doing that. I've been known to write things on my list I've already done and check them off my list just because it feels so good. In fact, if the truth be known, I've been known to write things on my list. Patty's done, and I've checked it off my list. She got that done. It just feels so good. And now with, with my iPhone, you not only get to check it off, you get a click with it. That's just extra reward for me. I, just, I like doing that. makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something. Achievers are most comfortable living by priorities, having managed deadlines, they always want to know they have enough resources to accomplish the tasks they have ahead of them. They tend not to like surprises. 
especially those that will slow them down from accomplishing the task. 25% of the U.S. population is probably achievers. Now, we have a higher percentage in here just by the nature of, I think, this area and what it tends to attract. 25% uh, of that population, of that 25%, are females. Most achievers are males. 75% are males. And I want to give you a biblical example of a great achiever, a man in the Old Testament by the name of Nehemiah. You may have heard of him. There's a book that bears his name. Nehemiah was a leader in the Old Testament, a leader that God used to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem after Israel was, or, or uh, Judah was released from captivity. And they were going to return to the land. They were in captivity for 40 years or 70 years in Babylon. Now, while he was in Babylon, he became the cupbearer of the king, which was a prestigious position. And as we pick up the story, he's gone to the king and he's requesting permission to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. We'll pick up the story there. In chapter 2 it says, And then the king said to me, and the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. So he's well aware of his time schedule. He's giving the king, I'm going to finish by this, I'll be back by here, should arrive at this time. Let's go on, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there in three days. Then I arose at night, I and a few men with me. Now I want you to just notice the detail that he gives. And I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. And then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall when I turned back and entered. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so I returned. And then he gives this detail. He says, And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. So what is Nehemiah doing? He's collecting the facts. He's doing research. He's surveying the situation. He wants to get the information in so he can establish this is the problem and this is a plan on accomplishing it. He's going to end up... Uh, identifying the problem, coming up with a strategy, a plan. He's going to implement resources, and uh, he's going to end up seeing the wall rebuilt. Now, that's an achiever. This project was made for Nehemiah. And as you go on and look at the rest of the story, well, let's pick it up in verse 17. He says, And then I said to them, in other words, now he's greeting everybody, He's not just an achiever, but watch how he motivates them. He says, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. In other words, he tells them about what God has done to get him there. 
and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. In other words, he talks about how the king is paying for this. So they're seeing the work that's, that's already been done by this achiever and what God has brought together. And so they said, let's rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. So he says, we're going to rebuild the wall. Now that's the task. And he takes that task and he ends up inspiring a whole group of people. And if we were to study this in detail, you'll be amazed at how he organizes the different groups, how he puts them in different work teams, how he uh, provides protection for each team because there are enemies out there that don't want the wall build, uh, built and how they they go about accomplishing the task. So that by the time you get to chapter 6, he says this, And so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Wow. I mean, do you get the impression he finished uh, faster than he, he, his schedule, you know, predicted he had finished? I mean, he tells 52 days. I get the feeling he wants some recognition for this. I got this thing done. Look at what I did. And you can see all throughout he has deadlines and schedule, and they end up accomplishing the task. Now, some of the better-known achievers in society are Mr. Spock on Star Trek. Now, he's kind of a caricature of an achiever, but he's an example. George Washington Carver. Uh, I mean, it had to be Achiever that figured out 100 different uses for the peanut. Thomas Paine, the author of Common Sense, helped brought, bring about uh, our independence. In fact, it, you, you may or may not be a Star Trek fan, but on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, you, you discover that Mr. Spock dies and his body ends up being separated from his soul. And then in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, you discover that Spock, has been carrying his soul, and in that movie, his soul gets reunited with his body, and there is a resurrection of sorts. And when that happens, you have McCoy, who is a harmonizer, by the way, wanting to sit down with Spock, who's an achiever, and tell him how glad he is to have him back. I want you to watch this interaction between a pure achiever and a harmonizer. Hi. Busy? Uhura is busy. I am monitoring. Hmm. Well, I just want to say, sure, it's nice to have your cantra back in your head, not mine. What I mean is, I may have carried your soul, but I sure couldn't fill your shoes. My shoes? Forget it. Perhaps we could cover a little philosophical ground. Life, death, life, things of that nature. I did not have time on Vulcan to review the philosophical disciplines. Come on, Spock, it's me, McCoy. You really have gone where no man's gone before. Can't you tell me what it felt like? It would be impossible to discuss the subject without a common frame of reference. You're joking. A joke is a story with a humorous climax. You mean I have to die to discuss your insights on death? Forgive me, Doctor. I'm receiving a number of distress calls. I don't doubt it. 
Now, you got to remember Spock is a caricature, an exaggeration, extreme exaggeration of an achiever. Uh, but what lens does he view life through? A thinks-first lens. I mean, he deals with facts. I mean, McCoy approaches him and says, you busy? He says, you, you hear is busy. I'm monitoring. He's focused just on the facts, isn't he? And that's what achievers do. Oh, by the way, uh, harmonizers love by moving in close and connecting with people. Achievers love by accomplishing things for people. And that is exactly what Spock is doing here. He's accomplishing things for people. But McCoy is a harmonizer, and he wants to move in close and uh, kind of be up close and personal with Spock. And he gets rebuffed time and time again. Um, I mean, he's pressing him, and Spock says, you know, forgive me, I'm receiving a number of distress calls. And what does the harmonizer do? He gets his feelings hurt. He's been rebuffed. He says, "I, I, I don't doubt it. And harmonizers tend to be uh, sensitive when it comes to their feelings because they see life through a feels-first lens. So that kind of gives you an overview of two of the personality parts. Maybe you know more about harmonizer and achiever now that you've kind of set through this. Next week, we're going to look at the other four personality parts and digest what they have to say. And then we're going to um, end next week by introducing you to a project on how you can take this material and begin developing a personal mission statement that you will uh, begin working on, and you'll get it down to a slogan, you'll get it down to a word that describes you and the energy that you have for life. So we're going to have a lot of fun together going over the other four personality parts, but I want to give you time to discuss what we've talked about so far in your group. So we'll go on and break uh, for your group, and we'll see you back next week. We'll have a great time. Thanks for coming, gentlemen.